I have done religious liberty sermons for over 20 years now. And last year I didn't do one. I, uh, I was put in the bullpen um, by pastor for some reason. And um, so we had, we had two last year. We had one that was pretty good and one that was done by, I guess, I wasn't here, um, was done by a, I guess we would consider somebody on the left of the political spectrum. So the people on the left were happy and the people on the right were unhappy. That's the problem. That's the problem for our church, being involved in politics. You know, I've, I've always done these religious liberty sermons where I'd get up here and I'd, I'd give you an education about the, the three branches of government. And Article 1 of the Constitution is, a, is the Congress. Article 2 is the President. Article 3 is the Supreme Court and how they all work together and how our religious liberty is guaranteed by this great structure. Well, over the last two years, we have deteriorated to a degree I have never seen in my entire life in our political world. Um, I, I, I recently heard a song, an old 60s hippie song, um, that, that brought me back, um, a song I heard all my life, and it was by, next slide please, by this band. Um, this band was called Buffalo Springfield, and here's the test part for you baby boomers and uh, ex-hippies. Um, only one of those would apply to Wally. Wally, who's the guy in the middle? Ah, and who's the guy in the far right? Who's the guy in the far right? There you are. That's it. So this is a precursor to Crosby, Steele's Nash & Young, Buffalo Springfield. In 1966, they, they had a song out. Now, in that time in America was the last time we were torn apart. Nothing like we are today. And the heart of it was the Vietnam War. So if we could, uh, they did a song in 1966 called For Whatever It's Worth. Um, next slide, please. For Whatever It's Worth is a really good song for today. And it really resonated with me when I heard it. There's something happening here. But what it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there telling me I got to beware. There's battle lines being drawn. Nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Does that feel like America today? Um, moving on in the song, next slide. What a field day for the heat. A thousand people in the streets singing songs and carrying signs, mostly saying hooray for our side. Now the final verse, and the final thing is a chorus. Maybe you, uh, you hippies could sing it with me. It's time we stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down. Remember? You guys don't know that? All the young ones are going, I never heard that song. And um, it, it, it really resonated with me. Um, it's time to stop. What is going on? And, and, you know, Buffalo Springfield was saying that in 1966 in the midst of all the struggle of the Vietnam War. But it is far, far more relevant today. What is that sound? What's that sound in our country? The sound is hatred, and it's everywhere. It's across the political spectrum. Now, we've always had hatred in America. It's, it's always been there on the extremes. Next slide, please. This wonderful group's called Antifa. Um, they, they hate everything, uh, pretty much. Um, and they dress up in black, and they will violently attack anybody they disagree with, which happens to be anybody who's kind of a leftist. 
And then on, I mean, excuse me, a, a rightist, they are leftists. And then on the other extreme, next slide, we got our run-of-the-mill white supremacist rednecks. Um, and you'll see in this picture, the guy, you see that guy with the red baseball cap? He's ready to chuck a rock at the other guys. And it's just, it, it, the hatred is so palatable in these groups. The problem is, this hatred has gone to the middle of each party. This hatred abounds across the political spectrum. In, in the 60s, there was a big dispute about the Vietnam War, huge dispute, and there was a lot of hatred. There's a lot of passion, there's a lot of emotion. But in the center of the country, there was not hatred. There was a respect for each other that we're all Americans and we're trying to get to this, we're trying to work through this problem the best we can. Some are saying it was a wonderful idea to be in Vietnam to stop the domino effect was a great thing they sold back then. There's gonna be a domino effect of communism and if we don't stop it in North Vietnam, it's gonna go all the way to Australia tomorrow. And you know, the people on the left are saying, people are dying in droves, it's gotta stop. So they worked out a political solution ultimately. Not anymore, that, that's, that, uh, political solutions are a joke in our country anymore. Um, let's go to slide eight, uh, next one. The left hates the president, they hate him. Um, and, and it's based upon the following narrative, that Donald Trump is a racist, therefore everybody who supports Donald Trump is a racist, and if you wear one of those silly MAGA hats, you are wearing a Ku Klux Klan hat, and you are racist. So now I can hate you because you are evil. You are evil. If you support Trump, Trump is evil. Evil doesn't have to be reasoned with. Evil has to be destroyed. Now, all you people on the right who are swelling up with pride, let's go to our next hated person in America. Nancy Pelosi is the worst thing for America. She hates America, and she wants every illegal immigrant to rule our country, and all the people with money, they want to put guns to their heads and take their money. She hates America, and she hates you. She is evil, okay? So that, those are the narratives on both sides of our, our political spectrum right now. And again, keep in mind, when you call somebody evil, you've now taken away any reason to deal with them or treat them any way appropriately. Everybody is evil, everybody's terrible. Now, what do we do? What, 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 what do happens in our country? So next slide. We've divided along so many, so many different um, boundaries now. Race is a big one. Remember when Martin Luther King said, we should judge a person by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Well, we flipped it over on its head now. White males are privileged because they're white and they're male. And, and therefore, based on solely on race and gender, we have put them in a category. Um, it, race is now the whole thing. If I hang the name racist on your head, now you're destroyed. It, it, it was the, it's the new um, child molester thing. You're a racist. Um, gender, not only male, female, I now understand there's like 23 genders in America. How is that possible? I still can't wrap my head around. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there's two, and that's going to stay that way. Um, now, we're, we divide on class and income. Poor people are inherently more noble than rich people. Rich people are, by virtue of their wealth, evil and bad because they're rich. That um, national origin, where you came from. Is he from Mexico? Is he from Honduras? Um, and then the big one, red and blue. 
the, you know, the MAGA people versus the, the people that are for all the wonderful things in the world that are blue. Now, in the midst of all this strife and, and hatred, what does the Bible tell us we are? Because that is the only authority we recognize. Let's go to the next slide. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. Jews and Greeks. The, the Jews had this use of Greeks like the Amish have for English. Anybody who's not Jew is Greek. So this is saying Jews or Greeks. Everybody, Jews and non-Jews, slaves or free. If you put modern terms in that, it would say poor or rich. So they're not saying rich hate the poor, poor hate the rich, Jews hate the Greeks, Greeks hate the Jews. We're all in one body. Whatever status we are, whatever color we are, whatever political leading we are, we are one body of Christians under one God. What does the church of Christ look like? Next slide. That's what the church of Christ looks like. All people from all nations who come to the cross of Christ and claim him as their savior. That's who your brother or sister is. It's not somebody with a red hat or a blue hat standing next to you. It, it, is, it is so important to keep this in mind that Christ did not create a church that was anything but united in him. In him alone. Now, what does a Christian do in this atmosphere? You know, what, where, where, where do we go? The Bible tells us over and over. I'm, I'm going to take a, a piece from the very long scripture piece. I, got, I took some criticism from back, uh, backstage, um, the very long introductory scripture. But I'm going to take one piece of that again. Um, next slide. Who are we? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy nation is, is a, of a people that are outside of, of physical nations and barriers on this planet. A people of, for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You have received mercy from the throne. That doesn't make you a red hat or a blue hat. That makes you a Christian. So, um, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Next slide. We follow the words of our Lord and Savior. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not to Donald Trump, not to Nancy Pelosi, not to Vladimir Putin, to him. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What are we to do? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you have more in common with a Christian in Congo than you do with an atheist in Bakersfield. When we try to plant our flag and say, this is who I am, that is not who you are. You are a Christian who lives in America. You're not an American Christian. You're a Christian American. So listen to the teaching of Christ. What does that look like? Next slide. That's the picture of the church 
both genders, different races, studying the word of God together. That's what we bring to the game. That's what we bring to what, what we, we have in our country now. Now, the problem is we live in a country that's so divided, so angry, so hostile. So in order for us to understand how we got here, in order for us to, to be able to do anything about this mess, we have to really understand how we got here. Why are people so angry? People are angry because their government does not respond to them. Their government does not pay one bit of attention to you and me. And that, that's why people are so angry. And by the way, left, that's why Donald Trump got elected. Because people have had it. They know that the government, as it is, is not responsive to them. It isn't because he's a dynamic personality. It wasn't because he's such a great speaker. We know he's none of those things. He's different. He's from the outside. That's why people in middle America voted for him. And it's not because he's a racist and everybody who voted for him is a racist. It's because he's different. Is he the best thing that ever happened? Obviously, no. He's contributed. He's contributed. Who aim in that? <laughs> um, stop it. Just stop. Remember? Um, it, it, but, but the problem isn't him. The problem is Washington. And now, and, and mind you, we're going to go into places we've never seen. We, we've now have, you know, um, Alexandria, um, Cortez, what's your last name? Oh, come on, Alexandria, the AOC. Um, she, you know, that, she's somebody who's not the same. She's different. Says crazy, lunatic things, but everybody's jumping behind her because she's different. She's from the outside. So wh where is the power? I didn't tell you to go far. Who did that? Um, where is the power in, in our country? Now you go far. It's not in Congress. It's not in Congress. It should be. That should be where you address your politicians to get, get some feedback, get some love. Nope. Next slide. It's not in the White House. Whoever's a president is so detached from the people, it's not there. Next slide. It's not in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court cleans up messes after they happen. The power in America is on K Street in Washington, D.C. K Street is where the lobbyists live. K Street is where if you want to go grease the hand of a politician, you go to K Street. And K Street is a, a wonderful place where a lot of rich companies and special interests feed a bunch of money to people to go buy off politicians. It, that's what lobbyists do. We could call, call it any other thing. That's what it is. Now, K Street, oh, and, and by the way, um, all of our darlings, uh, you know, I've, I've taken some shots to the left. You know, um, you people on the right, your darling Paul Ryan, he's got a nice cushy office in K Street right now. Um, that's what they do. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of statistics. Next slide, please. I'm going to give you a bunch of statistics, and I'm sure guys like Ron Holness are going to look at me and say, where'd you come up with that? What's your source? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you. Um, there's this website called opensecrets.org, and its genesis was started by two senators in 1983. Everybody take a deep breath. Senator Church, a Democrat, and Senator Scott, a Republican, got together and did this. Church, a Democrat, 
and Scott a Republican is actually possible to happen. Now, what they did, it was back in the 80s, it was just started. You know, all this lobbying nonsense had just really got kicked into high gear. And they looked at each other after they retired and they said, our government is getting bought. We need to get this information out to the people. So they started compiling, there, there wasn't a website obviously in 1983. They started compiling these huge books, taking all this information saying, look what's happening, look, look where, where um, all this money is coming in and buying all these politicians. Now to show you the validity of this um, source, both the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal quote them, Fox News and MSNBC quote them. So it, it, it's a very well-respected source and this is the bulk of my information going forward. Next slide, please. How many lobbyists are there in Washington, D.C.? Hit the button. I did this cool fly-in thing. Um, 11,272 lobbyists in Washington, D.C. How many members are there in Congress? 435. How many members of senators? 100. I did the math. It was pretty hard. 435 plus 100 is 535 people. There are 21 lobbyists per representative in Washington, D.C. 21. So you get your, your new freshman congressperson, a freshman senator, you walk in, you sit in your office, there's 21 people with, with suitcase full of money wanting to talk to you. Now, how much money are we talking about? How much do they spend? Next slide. In 2018 alone, the lobbyists spent in reported money $2,585,000 on 585 people. The average money going to a politician in Washington, D.C., almost $5 million a year. Now, of course, these are averages. If, if you're a chair of a committee or you have, you have a lot of pull, you're going to get a lot of love. You're going to get a lot of attention from the lobbyists. Um, now, where does this money come from? Over $2 billion, $2.5 billion a single year. These are the sectors that have given money over the last 20 years. The health industry alone has given over $8 billion in 20 years for the sole purpose of buying political influence. That's not developing drugs or giving health care. Um, the Financial Insurance and Real Estate Institute has given over $8 billion. Um, now, you think about your life, health care, drugs, real, um, insurance, banking, those are all pretty important things in your life. Take a big chunk of your budget, don't you? Don't, don't they? Well, they're all bought. They all own Washington. And you look down this list, um, it's amazing that all the things that, that have the most effects on your life seem to be on this list. Um, the, if you look at defense, defense is another great one. They spend over $2 billion. They don't really have to spend as much as the others because they already have it going on for them. We, in our current budget, have $1 trillion in defense money is on the budget. A trillion dollars in defense. Nobody on the planet spends like we do on defense. The top 10 defense spenders, America outspends more than two through eight combined. And what wonder it is that we keep hearing from Washington, it's so important to be involved in foreign wars. We need to use this stuff, right? Okay, so I, I was thinking about the best way to show you in, in real life terms what this lobbying does and the effects it has on America. 
And every, every example I thought of, that will offend the left or this will offend the right. I just said that left and right, not mean it's left, right. I'm not saying you the left, you're the right. Um, although we do have some leftists, I see them over here, and we do have some right. But, um, okay, the, the opioid crisis. In 2017, 70,237 people in a single year died from opioid overdoses. That is a staggering number. Um, in Vietnam, the whole war, which really caused us a lot of pain, 58,000 died. So put that in perspective. In a single year, a single year, this many people died from overdose. What do we trace the opioid crisis back to? Next slide. There was a drug introduced by a nice little company called Purdue Pharmaceutical called OxyContin in 1995 and what happens is these companies they get a patent and then they push this drug like there's no tomorrow. In 1999 opioid overdoses were 14,000. Like I said in 2017 they had jumped ridiculously to 70,237. Are we hearing about this? Not very much. Now how did Purdue do it? Next slide. Purdue went to the FDA. You have to go to the FDA to market your drug and they said we got this great new theory about our drug. It is not, it is time-released. Remember, like, all of us are old enough to remember contact, when they used to sell contact, it was time-released. Uh, so um, they said it's time-released, and therefore, when people take it, they won't get the rush that, every, that all these addicts like, and therefore, it's not addictive. So there was no science on that, by the way. It was a theory that the scientists at, um, the experts at Purdue had. So the FDA said, okay, I'll tell you what. You can say... It's believed to reduce addiction. The bottom quote that I have here is from the uh, Minnesota Attorney General's office study on it. Trained sales representatives, Purdue trained its sales representatives to tell doctors that OxyContin was less addictive and prone to abuse than competing opioids. Claims beyond the one approved by the FBI. So they went to poor doctors' offices and said, we got this miracle pain drug. You have people in big pain? Give them oxycodone because it won't make them addictive like all the other things you're giving them. So doctors are accepting that. You know, these guys are experts. They're coming in. So they're writing these prescriptions, oxycodone, oxycodone. It is one of the most addictive drugs ever created. What, what did that do for Purdue? Next slide. In 2007, Purdue's um, income was about, uh, profits were about $3 billion. On the back of oxycodone, it over it jumped over 10 times to $35 billion. So we have people dying in the streets, Americans, our fellow Americans. And then to tell you how it works in the political world. So now the doctors kind of figured out that this oxycodone is bad stuff. So they're cutting everybody off. They, they, you know, they've got ahead of the curve on it now. Well, now we have tons of people addicted to oxycodone. And now we, um, there's a big demand for it. It's coming in from Mexico. So now we're saying, look what Mexico's doing. Mexico's getting us all addicted to opioids. No, Purdue got us addicted to opioids. Mexico's just filling the hole that was created by our own wonderful companies. Now, to get an idea that um, what happened or how we're there and why we're not hearing about this and why our wonderful government isn't doing anything about it, let's look at the next slide. The pharmaceutical industry is paying 
uh, Congress members, nine out of 10, 392 of 435 members are in the pocket of the pharmaceutical companies. 98 out of 100 senators are in the pocket of the pharmaceutical companies. And by the way, both you red people and blue people, see I'm a libertarian so I gotta do that poet at all because, um, um, both you red people and blue people, your politicians' snouts were equally at the trough. Next slide. The Democrats had just over $13 million in one year paid to them, and the Republicans had just under $13.5 million paid to them in one year. Now, I can already hear the Republicans saying, oh, look, the Democrats are worse. <laughs> just stop. They're all in the trough. And if, if, if you're in the trough, and if, you're, if you are a person who has influence on your politician like that, what, are they going to listen to you? They care what Bob Dixon thinks? They care what David Osagara thinks? Don't kid yourself. Now, to show you how our ruling class really works, let's look at the next slide. Politicians who become lobbyists get a 1,400% pay increase. Anybody like think that's a good deal? 1,400%? 42% of the House members who retire become lobbyists. 50% of senators who retire become lobbyists. Let that sink in a minute. So first I get paid by them, then I become one of them. And it's this ruling class in Washington, D.C. that doesn't care about us. They don't. Our culture, getting back to religious liberty, we're never going to... I don't think the SDA church has a very good lobbyist in Washington. I'm just guessing. Uh, that has billions of dollars to grease politicians for us. So... Now our culture is going against our church. Let's go to the next slide. A purchased government doesn't concern itself with your liberty. The Bible teaches what our culture has called hate speech. Adultery is sex between the unmarried, pretty clear biblical teaching. Marriage is between a man and a woman. The man is the spiritual head of a household. You, you may as well just get out a, a noose and hang somebody for saying that. Um, Life is given by God, and we are not to murder. That, that, if you're wondering, it says exactly what you think I'm saying on that. Um, next slide. Remember this, Christians. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who have been instituted, and those have been instituted by God. So it's the hardest thing for us to get our arms around. My, my friends on the right are going to say, are you telling me you're saying God put Barack Obama in the White House? And my friends on the left are going to say, are you telling me that God put Donald Trump on the, in the White House? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you because that's what the Bible's telling you. Now, we got to take a deep breath. That's what I'm saying, just stop. Just stop. So, what do we do? How do we as Christians exist in this morass of a bought-out, paid-off government, the political strife, the hatred, and the anger? I think the best thing to do is go back to our Lord and Savior and see what he did about it. Um, let's go to the next slide. This is a story we all know. We like to just quote the, uh, the climactic line, but I think it's so amazing to see how Christ worked it. And they sent, him, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they said to him, teacher, 
We know you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Next slide. They double up in the question. Should we pay them or should we not? Now, this is a, another great, brilliant design question by the, by the Pharisees. If Jesus said, don't pay the taxes, then he's gonna, they're going to go run to the emperor and say, off with his head. If he says, pay the taxes, they're going to say, look, he's, a, he's, a, he's for government over God. He, he, uh, Jesus is, I love this. He says, um, by no, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Like, are you guys kidding? Um, and they brought, and they um, said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's, let's put this in modern vernacular. Render to Trump the things that are Trump's and to God the things that are God. Render to Pelosi the things that are Pelosi's and to God the things that are God's. That's the answer, Christians, is we don't belong there. We don't belong in that fight. I'm not saying don't pay attention to it. I'm not saying don't be knowledgeable about it or involved with it to a degree. But that's not who we serve. And then finally... We go to Jesus Christ in front of Pilate, which now Pilate is Trump. Pilate is the symbol of the greatest authority on the planet, the greatest military authority in the planet. And um, we have Jesus before him. Next slide. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Second time he says it, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And understand, Pilate wasn't asking to have a discussion about truth. It was sarcastic. What is truth? And here, look look at the dichotomy there. People of the truth listen to my voice. And the first guy who couldn't hear him was Pilate. People of the truth listen to my voice. Then um, Jesus goes out and comes back to see Pilate again. Um, Next slide. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? You know, can you imagine this? Pilate, you know, the, the, this pagan Pilate speaking to the king of the universe. Do you know who I am? You know, I'm sure Jesus will come. I'm really impressed. Um, so Jesus responds, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. That is where the source of our power is. That is where the source of our authority is. As this country deteriorates around us, and you know what? In a way, it's exciting, isn't it? Because this is what God promised. God said it is going to get really bad before, before I come. 
And we're, make, we're taking a turn right now in this country that none of us who've lived a long time have ever even seen or heard of. And it's because of what's supposed to happen. It's because we are Christians. And it's because we are Christians we need to hunker down. My advice to, to uh, very politically active Christians is to disengage, is to read the Bible, bring Christ to all situations. If you go to a march where there's people shaking their fists and are full of hate and anger, tell them about Jesus on either side. We bring Christ to the world. We bring the light of Christ to the world. We are not to bring red hats or blue hats to the world and shake our fists at the other side. God bless you all.